Okay, welcome back to the Lumos Maxima podcast. As always, we're going to have a lot of swearing, a lot of spoilers for the Harry Potter books and their spinoffs and movies, mature content, and lots of opinions. Also, just a warning, this intro segment is going to be a little long this week. <laughs> so if you're, you're not interested in us rambling, you can skip ahead like 10 minutes and we'll be on to the regular programming. Uh, just to start it off, I want to apologize to everyone who listened to the last episode. I've been testing out mics, trying to get sound quality a little bit better. Um, and it wasn't until we edited that we learned the microphone was super close to my mouth and you can just hear my breathing like super heavy. So really sorry for that. I have a different microphone this episode. It is very far away from my face, so you should not be hearing that. Second, if you love the Harry Potter movies, one, they're coming back to several theaters across the U.S., and two, the closer we get to Halloween, the more they're going to be played on ABC Family slash Freeform, whatever. So get and your fix sci-fi. in on that. And sci-fi. Yeah, there's so many channels that just play Harry Potter like nonstop now. So mm-hmm. never pay for that. And kind of lastly for this part is we shit on Ron pretty much every episode. Correct. Um, you shit on Ron. It's not, like, it, it's not like you think he's like a phenomenal character. No, um, I said that I do love Ron. I oh, I, I love Ron. I don't think he's like great, but I do think that we fault him all the time for his behavior um, and we don't really give him any credit for the things he does right. And that's super inappropriate of us because we definitely don't acknowledge how he was raised and his life situation and his own personal struggles like we do with other characters. Some of it is because it's not as obvious. Like Ron, he grew up poor, but he wasn't abused. He has a really loving family, but he still grew up very poor in a society that's very bad to people who are in low socioeconomic statuses. Mm -hmm. He grew up in a family had a lot of stigmas attached to it he's one of like seven kids i think he is constantly overshadowed by his siblings he is pretty much the least doubted upon by his mom and ron i think makes a personal choice every single day not to become percy they have almost identical upbringings and end up as two completely different people uh ron is super brave he's super loyal He doesn't use it a lot, but I think he's got a lot of wizarding sense. And I just want to let people know that we do know his struggles are no less important or damaging than anyone else's because no one's situations are the same. And we can't judge people because we don't think it's as bad. We have no idea the impact it has on someone actually in that situation. So we do love Ron. Mm -hmm. I wish that he had a little bit more character development and that he kind of grew out of some of the pitfalls that he has as a young child, which I don't, I don't really know that he did. I think he marries up. I think Hermione's yeah. a catch, but we, we do acknowledge that Ron is a character who deserves some love and is super important to the trilogy, like to the trio and to the story. And without him, I mean, Harry would have, he would have had a much harder time. So we do love you, Ron. Yeah, and we'll go into that a lot more for Ron's dedicated episode. Oh, absolutely. But but yeah. Okay, and now going into the R Pensieve Corrections Corner. First thing we want to touch on is actually from the abuse episode. One thing is we said that Harry doesn't tell on Umbridge about her abuse. And we said it's probably because he doesn't trust other adults and like he's never been had the opportunity where he could talk about like the Dursley's abuse or something and it like work out for him. 
<laughs> he's always just dealt with it. But one correction we would like to make is that one reason he doesn't report Umbridge because he doesn't want to give her that satisfaction of him like telling on her. Yeah, I mean, Hermione, like, she really pushes him to tell an adult or to tell an authority figure. And Harry's response is like, if we tell people, if people know this is happening to me, she wins because then she knows that it's getting to me. So it doesn't make it any less of abuse. But Harry does have somewhat of a choice in terms of reporting. Yeah, and it, it... It partially it's probably because like he said like we we said originally is that he may not think that much good will come of it but Mm -hmm. also he does consciously say that she'll be satisfied by it he doesn't want that so yeah we also didn't mention that petunia herself may be a victim yeah which i feel super shitty about because the signs are all there i mean she goes through she has a traumatic childhood she Mm -hmm. loses someone super close to her she is not close with her parents We know that she, like, Vernon is, I don't know if we know for sure, but I think we can pretty, like, certainly infer that that's her first and only relationship. Right. And even if you are not directly abused, even if he's not violent towards her, she lives in a household with an abuser who is pretty bad. She perpetuates the abuse. She's around it. And there are plenty of studies that show that it is just as harmful for people who are in the house who are not actually abused And that that initial relationship, I think it's fair to assume that at some point Vernon has been crappy to her, whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally, anything like that. So not that we justify or excuse her behavior whatsoever, but she definitely fits the criteria for someone who is a victim of abuse. And it's not it's not fair to leave that out just because she is also a perpetrator. Right. Agreed. Our next correction is actually going to be with the houses episode. This is my favorite correction we've ever done. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, we did touch on how like Hufflepuff gets a bad rep for taking the rest. Yeah. But we forget to mention that that's actually kind of the point. And that's what Hufflepuff wanted. She wanted everyone to get a chance to learn at Hogwarts, regardless of if they fit in in the boxes or not she wanted just if you want to learn magic come on in so yeah i love that this highlights the inclusionary aspect of hufflepuff their founder was super firm on the fact that anyone who is magical deserves to be taught deserves to learn deserves to have an opportunity and environment to grow and like the sorting hat just says like oh and you know she just kind of takes the rest but no she's literally taking the rest because she wants them to have this opportunity so shout out to her i think that's super awesome kind of makes sense that her house would be the one that would take the rest i feel like sometimes men can forget that like just because people don't necessarily show promise initially doesn't mean they don't have excessive potential. So, but this also leads me to believe that like Hufflepuff is probably the largest house. For sure. And the most diverse for sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, if you piss them off, eventually I feel like they'd snap and take over. They have to have just volumes more than other people in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so last week's, weekly wizarding question was what does the hogwarts express do like the rest of the year and is it the only way people can get to hogwarts and if we remember it is not in book five when everyone returns from christmas break from being at grimmauld place um they take the night bus back to hogwarts so i think we kind of get the sense that although the hogwarts express is the main way 
it's the easiest one to like monitor and track and take over in terms mm-hmm. of like the ministry. Cause book five is where it kind of starts to get contentious with the ministry. So I think they take the night bus like as a safety precaution. Yeah. And then also one year they open the flu network and they go back that way. Yeah. Remember. Which is, which is crazy because like it's, you're not supposed to be able to use alternative modes of transportation for Hogwarts. Like you can't apparate. You're not really supposed mm-hmm. to be able to use the flu. So I guess it's just like a in time of crises thing. Yeah. Um, it specifically said that it was because of all the craziness happening. Yeah. It also gives us a glimpse when they go on the night bus to kind of the things to come because we see Stan again. Um, and this is right before he goes off the deep end. So that's yeah. sad. Poor well- Stan. But this week's weekly wizarding thought is, what the fuck is Mad-Eye's boggart? True. Like, it manifests in whatever you're really afraid of. He's super paranoid, but I wouldn't say he's, like, afraid of anything. So I'm just wondering, like, does he know what a boggart boggart actually looks like? Because when it comes out of its containment area, it doesn't have anything to turn into? No, I feel like it turns into something, but it's something very, like, poetic. Like, Harry's was the Dementors, and Lupin says, like, oh, that's very wise. It means you fear fear itself. So I feel like it was something. It has to be something like that. It's world peace. He's afraid of world peace. Yes, probably. Probably. I mean, he hates the idea that, like, one day everything could be copacetic, which is so funny. Like, that should be the goal. But he's like... Now, constant vigilance, and you're like, all right, crazy. (laughs) What? Maybe his boggart is himself as a boring muggle. Done. That's it. Himself with no magical eyeball. I don't know. I feel like his boggart is, like, something having to do with the mundane and the, like, boring and stuff. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, a boring muggle who works at an office job with a briefcase, that's his boggart. Boring. Yeah. But if you have any idea what it could be, if you have a crazy thought on what Mad Eyes Boggart could be, hit us up. We would love to know what you think about this week's topic. Yeah. So uh, that will end our intro segments with our Pensieve Corrections Corner and our weekly wizarding thought. And now we are going to get into the trio series, Harry Potter Part 2. So, Harry James Potter, part two, we left off at the end of book four, which felt like kind of the natural place to leave off, because that's when you get the shift in the tone of the books. At the end of book four, Voldemort is back, everyone's freaking out, kind of, because they're not really sure what to believe. It also is like a very poignant shift for Harry as a character. We get what people like to call emo Harry, And I feel like, I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one who feels like his emotions are, like, super justified, but on top of being, like, a teenage boy who's really hitting puberty and getting just, like, a rush of very normal, complicated emotions, he has also just witnessed someone get murdered. Yeah. The person who murdered his parents is back in corporeal form and is, like, building alliances and getting Death Eaters back together. I'm pretty sure he's got some sort of responsibility feelings for the fact that, like, Cedric is dead. And then, like, he internally and externally knows that this threat is so real, but nobody believes him. And the people that do believe him, because, I mean, obviously everyone in the Order 
believes him. There is some of the student body that does, but like even the people that believe him don't want him to be a part of it. And this just seems so unfair to me because like, yes, Harry was the only person who saw it happen and he's the one who let everyone know that doesn't mean that they have to tell him what's going on, but he knows more about Voldemort than pretty much everyone else combined. I mean, on top of that, it's not even about about him, like, knowing more about Voldemort. It's like, I'm sorry, guys. Who do you think is going to end up fighting him at the end of this? I don't need a, like, a prophecy, which there was one. I don't need the prophecy to tell me that it's going to be Harry. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be him and me in the end. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. And, like, even if they're doing it for the right reason and Harry shouldn't know what's going on, the way that they treat him is so infantile that it is yeah. literally... The worst feeling. I can remember being a teenager and having very valid feelings and thoughts and like knowing for sure things were happening and not having adults believe me because right. somehow my emotions or feelings or thoughts were marginalized due to my age. And right. like for him, it's just got to be even more frustrating because he's like a 45 year old man trapped in a 15 year old's body. Yeah. Like he's got so much shit going on and he is seeing Voldemort's emotions. Like, he has a whole right. new element of crazy going on. He is seeing what Voldemort is doing in his dreams. He is feeling his emotions. Like, that's crazy. Book yeah. five gets... Book five is so jam-packed with, like, the Harry-Voldemort connection. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, oh, we get back to Hogwarts for book five, and nothing is the same. It's, it's really become an adult novel at this point for me. This is where it becomes non-children for based sure. for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All the things that Harry's going through just like emotionally and the way JK is able to capture the complex emotions and the feeling of like fully feeling these and nobody's understanding. And then you yourself going, why the hell am I feeling like this? Like I've, I'm going insane. It's that's adult, you know, that's, that's, getting into adulthood so and then also yeah, the and, themes in general uh, and it i feel so badly for harry in book five because he i mean we know he's never had like a normal child experience but he's reaching these pivotal years in like your adolescence where you got so much shit going on for the first time mm -hmm. and then all of this new wizarding war stuff just like compounds on top of it so he doesn't even get the chance to like process the feelings of his first crush right which which it seems super trivial but there is like hardcore proof that your first crush and how those interactions go and how it ends up going is extremely pivotal in the formation of your love map like yeah. he has a lot of complex feelings about cho which by the way i think she makes an excellent first crush in terms of yeah. like She's popular, she's athletic, she's talented. They've like they don't have a lot in common, but it's like very first crush esque for yeah, me. For um sure. I think she has feelings for Harry in the wrong way. I think she's superimposing her feelings for Cedric as the stand in that was there at his death, which is a whole separate conversation. But like he he's like trying to figure out like, oh, do I really like girls? And yeah. oh, do I want like an intimate relationship with people? And like I don't understand why Cho is so complicated and like Harry is feeling, he even says he's like, um, they should just teach a class on how girls brains work. And that would be a lot more useful than transfiguration. And you're thinking like, yes, in the context of a 15 year old, it would absolutely be more useful. However, yeah. you are in the middle of a war. And so right. it's not <laughs> like, 
I feel so badly for the trio because they have to take these like very unique, very important experiences and just shove them all deep down inside and not right. have them, which is why I think this is for like later on, but I think the reason that the, the group, like the Hogwarts group in general only marries other people in the Hogwarts group is because they are all stunted in the exact same way. And like, yeah, they could not through the same thing. Yeah. They can't marry anyone else and like have it be normal. Right. So, yeah. Ugh, but so book five, we meet. Well, it starts off with Harry uh, fighting Dementors mm-hmm. and then going on trial for that, which is some bullshit. Yeah. Um, everyone's treating him like a kid. He's like trying to get it together. And then we meet Umbridge, who I think is the pinnacle bad guy. I Say agree. what you want about Voldemort. It's Umbridge for me. The girl is psycho. She cry yeah. cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she only cares about the demise of one student. So really, Harry's fighting two big bosses in this book. Right. Because Umbridge is hyper-focused on crushing Harry's soul. Kind of um, three big bosses, because Fudge, too. Yeah, Fudge is a lot more indirect. He, uh, he definitely yeah. works through Umbridge, I think. But yeah, even the, like the entire Ministry of Magic, basically. Yeah. And ugh, book five is so hard for him. But we get to see, I think, a really, really good thing happen in book five. And that is that Harry becomes a leader. Yeah. He becomes, and I think it's a really good spot for him. I think he would have made an excellent teacher post Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. we've got, so we've got the door, the formation of Dumbledore's army, which was Hermione's idea, but Ginny named it. And then Harry just kind of like teaches everyone. So, right. <laughs> so good job, Hermione, putting all the pieces together for them. Yeah. Um, he he gets the opportunity to nurture people and to feel like he's valuable. This is the first time he really feels like he is contributing in this whole book because he's teaching other people something that may actually save their lives. Yeah. And yeah. Harry comes into himself as a leader. Like he starts to realize like, wow, I actually know things that are of value and I know a lot more mm-hmm. than I think I do. And I can actually teach people how to do these things. Yeah. Like, and I mean, He's he's had pretty much every thing he loves taken from him at this point. His friends are prefixed, so mm-hmm. they are not around as much. He is banned for life from Quidditch along with the Weasley twins. Right. So he can't play Quidditch anymore, which is super important to him. He has to take on extra classes with Snape, which just like crushes his soul. So yeah. like the poor kid, he's got nothing except for he gets together. Yeah, I don't know how often their meetings are. I know they're like all over the place for the whole secrecy thing, but yeah. He's he's been cut off by all of the adults in his life. He has been extra cut off by Dumbledore, which fuck Dumbledore in this book. Agreed. So it it's just I think I think that this is the I think the DA is just one of the really special shining moments for him. Maybe in all of the series. Like put aside the obvious he beats Voldemort a lot thing. This is where he gets the opportunity to come into his own as an individual and say, okay, this is what I contribute. These are my talents. These are what I can help other people with. And this makes me feel like I'm valuable, which is so important for him, especially in book five. And isn't this the book where he starts to realize like, hey, I might want to be an Auror. I I might want to actually value my life after Hogwarts and think about the future. Yeah, this is, I think this is the book he makes the decision. I know he kind of talks about it with Percy 
in mm-hmm. like books three and four in, at some point. But yeah, he's like, you know, I do kind of want to get into this. Book five is a lot of emotional growth for a lot of characters. We meet Neville's parents and Harry mm-hmm. has a very empathetic moment with yeah. It's kind of unspoken, but he has a really nice moment with Neville where, like, there's no laughter. There's no questions. He just, they kind of look at each other and Harry's like, shit, man, I I understand that. And then he acknowledges that Neville's life might be harder than his because Harry's parents are dead. Right. He can mourn the perfect image of his parents for an eternity. Mm-hmm. Neville has to live with the warped image of his parents for an eternity. So... That whole complex, like, feeling of mourning your parents, but they're still alive, mm-hmm. but they're not who they were. It's, yeah. it's very complex. It's super hard. Um, so, yeah, obviously, Umbridge takes over. It's so hard for the kids. They're not even kids at this point. They're adults at this yeah. point. And then uh, we get to the end of the book, and spoiler alert... Harry's only family member dies. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, so Sirius dies. He is murdered by Bellatrix at the Ministry of Magic in the Department of Mysteries. Um, Harry learns about the prophecy, which basically says, like, either you live or Voldemort lives, but one of you has to die. And we just really see, like, we see a resurgence of the darkness. Harry gets, like, a really shocking piece of information, which I think Dumbledore knew. If I remember correctly, Dumbledore has heard the prophecy. There are people yes. who've heard the prophecy. Yeah, um, Dumbledore because, heard the prophecy. Because Dumbledore says, like, well, you know, Trelawney's made one good prediction. Because it is actually Trelawney who makes the prediction. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we get to the end of book five, and you're like, wow. Yeah. There, ugh, you, if you haven't read book five in a while, go back and read it. It's just like stuffed and it's not stuffed like book four book four was stuffed with like weird magical shit book five is stuffed with like the essentials so book five is a fire hose of information (laughs) yeah book five is really really rough for harry and for a lot of the other members i think it becomes super obvious to the student body that like shit's going down and people people are forced to pick alliances and i think book five is We've already said it, but it's very important to Harry's development because you have not only his complex feelings, but you also have uh, a very good idea of like multiple adults treating him multiple different ways. So mm-hmm. Molly is very much like he's a child, protect him, which I I do appreciate Molly for some of that because he's never had a childhood and she understands that and she wants to protect his childhood for as long as she can. Mm-hmm. But but then you have Dumbledore, who is literally just not talking to him, which is a fantastic way to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you have Sirius, who is treating him like an adult, but forgetting that he's not James. So. Yeah, which is hard. And then you've got, I mean, even the supplementary adults to this whole equation are really conflicted on what to do. Like, mm-hmm. McGonagall is really unsure how to handle Harry. She's proud of him for standing up to certain people, but then she's also disappointed in his teenage choices. She's like, I can't believe you got in a fight with the Slytherins because they said something about the Weasley's mom. And Harry's like, do you have any, like, do you have any idea what the dynamic of that family is right now? Like it is being torn apart at the seams and this is basically my family. So it's, it's really, it's almost uncomfortable to see like, 
adolescent adult interaction in this book. It is. And you can see adults, like you said, McGonagall and I think Arthur Weasley probably and Lupin are all very conflicted on how, mm-hmm. because even if, if someone, if an adult was going through a situation like this and they were trying to figure out how to treat the other adult, it'd still be very awkward and there's yeah. no right there. I, I think that their caution in this book is warranted because mm-hmm. if it was, if we flip it and Hermione is the Harry of the books, they would have no problem telling her everything because she's rational and she wouldn't right. just charge out there and do something. But right. knowing that Harry is going through a lot, knowing that he's going through a lot and no one is helping him process it. Yeah. Um, I think they, they are kind of in the right in terms of like, if they tell him about all this, like he threatens to run away because he thinks that he's a snake and kills people. Like he's not super level headed, which is understandable, but it yeah. also plays into the fact that the adults are not going to treat him the same way because yeah. he is not necessarily deserving of the information that could put him in a bad situation because he'll put himself in that situation. No problem. It, I d- it happens. I yeah, I do agree with that. But at the same time, I feel like some of his recklessness, especially at the end of the book, um, where he just races off and he's like, Sirius is in trouble. Let me run straight into a trap. But I, I think some of that is also because he feels like nobody is telling him anything. He has to do it all himself. No one's helping him go through this. No one's leading him and saying, okay, here's the situation, but we can't act like this. We have to do it this way. Because I, I understand some of that of like, if you can't know the plan, you can't follow the plan. You know what I mean? So I get some of that. That's warranted. But, but yeah, he does have a tendency to go off the rails. So. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And then we get to book six, and it gets no less wild. No. Not uh, yeah, once, once we hit the first page of book five, it is full steam ahead. We get to Half-Blood Prince, and things are bad, but things haven't broken down yet. They don't really, like, break down until book seven. Yeah. But this is, like, this is another really complex emotional book for Harry. First of all, he starts having some romantic complex tension because he starts to like Ginny. Mm-hmm. which yay I love them together I think she could have done better personally but I love them together and like this is complex enough like she's dating someone else she is the sister of his best friend and like kind of like a sister to him I right. mean they're not like super close but he considers the Weasleys his family and he's like starting to notice Ginny in a whole new way which take the Cho complications and like make them super real. And that's what happens in book six. Right. Ugh. and then Ron and Hermione kick it up in book six, which we know that JK never intended for them to be together, mm-hmm. which thank God she didn't actually intend for them to end up together. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, she could have done better. He could have done more suited. They both could have done more suited. But um, it adds a lot of tension to the trio. Like, it's very hard for Harry because, like, he starts to feel like he doesn't quite fit in anymore. Because yeah. when it's all platonic, the group gets along really well. But he should not be responsible for the emotional tension of Ron and Hermione. And because he is the third friend, he's, like, extra responsible. Right. And he's he can very 
easily see that Hermione is like in love with Ron and Ron is in love with Hermione, but he doesn't want to admit it. And then Hermione is trying to make Ron jealous and Harry's in the middle <clears> of it. He's like, guys, I don't even know how I feel about somebody, much less how you guys feel about yeah, each other. Harry isn't even sure that he wants like intimate connections with people. Like he almost, he gets grossed out in book five when he thinks that Cho's going to expect him to hold her hand. Like yeah. Harry is not there yet. <laughs> But, like, we, we get to Hogwarts, things are not great, and we get Slughorn as a teacher, which, yay, Snape is not the uh, potions professor anymore. That's yeah. because he's going to fuck up people's lives in special new ways. Right. Um, yay. <laughs> but Slughorn creates, like, a very contentious element to the trio, because he picks up on the qualities and abilities of both Hermione and Harry and leaves out Ron. Yeah. And that creates a lot of trio tension because Harry and Ron have really big loyalties to each other, which are tested frequently. And this is a really defining moment because Harry's like, look, dude, I didn't pick it. Like, if you want to be in the stupid club, like, that's not my problem. And Harry, this yeah. is, like, one of the first times I feel like he acknowledges the fact that, like, he doesn't have control over everything. And <laughs> some things are just, they just are how they are. And it's, like, not his responsibility to fix it, which I like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's totally, like, the whole book, like, listen, Ron, however you feel, sorry about it. But looking to me to do anything about it with you and Hermione or you and yourself, or whatever, I'm yeah, sorry, like, I got not, to talk about. Not my job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because all through book six, Harry has some much bigger shit going on. Like, yeah. Dumbledore is finally like, hey, so I need you to get the memory from this person you've never met of the most shameful moment of his entire life, and then we're going to look at it together, and then we're going to go on an adventure to a rock in the middle of the ocean, and we're going to fight a sea of dead people, and then you're going to poison me, and then we're going to kill the soul that's living in this necklace. And on top of that, I'm going to show you all the details about Tom Riddle's life, and you're actually going to feel a little bit sorry for him, and then you're going to question everything you know. And you're also going to feel an emotional attachment because you identify with Voldemort. Yep. Like, let's make it super fucking complicated for you. Right. So, yep. ugh, so the I think the probably biggest part of this whole book, obviously, is that Dumbledore is finally like, hey, I haven't told you anything for five books. Yeah. And now I'm going to have a complete overshare. Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you everything there is. But not enough that you'll be able to easily do this on your own in book seven, but just enough that you'll kind of head in the right direction. Right. And it's this whole thing for Harry, one, it's excessively confusing. He's got to have some whiplash for how he's being treated by Dumbledore. Yeah. Two, he has some questions about inadequacy in terms of whether or not he is actually capable of being a part of this. And right. then they, you know, they go to the rock in the middle of the ocean and blah, blah, blah. And um, he has to basically poison the man that he looks up to. So that's pretty shitty. And then another spoiler alert, they get back from it and Harry has to watch uh, Dumbledore die. Yeah. And I think also another layer of that is this whole damn time. His, he's been like, Draco's up to something. Drake goes up to something. Snape and is helping him. Snape and nobody Drake fucking like, listens. And then it comes true and he's like, listen, motherfuckers. Yeah, well, this because this is like 
all of the Harry Potter books should just be like it Harry Potter and the it's not Snape this year. Right. And like it's not Snape until it is. Right. And then it super is. Yep. And that's just gotta be so hard for him because then he deeply hates Snape. Yeah. When this all goes down. Which I mean, we know that this was all a super long game play by Dumbledore and Snape, and it has to go down this way, and blah, blah, blah. But Harry's basically like, I'm fucking right. And Nobody believed know- me. Yeah, Harry doesn't know that at this point. He's just no. like, I told all of you that Snape was evil. I told you it had nothing to do with my feelings for him, but just the fact that he was evil. And guess what? Yeah. He's the Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. And... I gotta say, in terms of, like, the long game and, like, oh, so-and-so has to kill XYZ and this has to because the Elder won it, you know, whatever. Um, stupid fucking plan, guys. Yeah. Like, like, ugh. And, ugh. I feel like it could have been a lot simpler. <laughs> yeah. I am about to say my biggest issue and what I think is the biggest plot hole in all of the Harry Potter books. So strap in for this one. So... As we know, Snape has basically been in love with Lily since they meet at a super young age. They live in the same neighborhood. Like, they meet before they get to Hogwarts, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, he's been in love with her. He's in love with Lily for, I'm going to say, while she's alive, at least 15 years, probably more. I'm going to assume they know each other as little kids. Yeah. And the whole, the piece of pivotal information that Snape working as a double agent hinges on is that Snape is going to be able to block his feelings for Lily from Voldemort being able to read them. Right. So the dude's fucking obsessed with her. His Patronus is her Patronus. He thinks about her all the time. He agrees to go against the Dark Lord because he's in love with her and feels so guilty for her death. And nobody thinks that Voldemort is going to know that he loved Lily. Yeah, true. Like, it, true. the whole idea is that when he's teaching Harry in book five about uh, occlumency and all this stuff, is that, like, he's able to block the Dark Lord because the Dark Lord knows when he's being lied to, but he can block the fact that he was so in love with Lily that the Dark Lord doesn't know. And that's that's literally why they say the whole thing works. And yeah. I'm like, it is super obvious to anyone who knew Snape from ages two to now that he's in love with Lily. Right. So that doesn't work for me, JK. I'm just saying. Doesn't work yeah. for me. Yeah. It's it's a little weak. It's it's a weak, yeah. It's I think it's weak. Um, especially because literally the entire plot of the book hinges on that one essential piece of information. Yeah. Like Snape is a Death Eater with other people he went to Hogwarts with. People know. It's not like a secret. So for him Ever- to think like, he I, just puts up a little mind wall, and Voldemort's like, oh, I guess you didn't really like her that much. However, I will say that to the outside world, him getting rejected by her and calling her a mudblood and then joining the Death Eaters, that may look like a fuck you, bitch, and I'm not in love with you anymore. I, you don't, I don't, you know, you don't deserve me. Fuck you. So there is that. That's yeah. Yeah. That you'd it, really have to play the whole lover scorn thing for. I'm getting way off track. Well, Snape's gonna get episodes, so we'll we'll talk about that. Back yeah. to book six. <laughs> <laughs> we do find out that Snape is kind of a dark arts dabbler. He's uh, just a little spoiler alert. He's the half blood prince. Holy shit! 
I know. I honestly no clue. That was one of the biggest like reveals. I was like, oh my god, no way. But Harry gets he gets like a healthy respect for the shit that Snape will do. Yeah. Like he everyone has always known that Snape is bad. But he's like, oh my god, Snape like made up his own spell for his enemies that cuts them from hip to shoulder and they bleed out and die. <laughs> like, yeah. So everybody like you said, everybody knows that Snape is a baddie. Mm-hmm. And Snape can do potions real good. But I think Harry starts to get respect for how intelligent he actually is and how powerful mm-hmm. he is. He probably never thought before. Yeah, we. I don't really pride Snape on being a particularly good teacher. I don't think he teaches potions well, but the no. dude is smart. He's he, genius. I guess when you, like, your lover dies, not even your lover, the person you're in love with dies at, like, 20, you just have a lot of time on your hands because he just yeah. knows, like, all this stuff. Yeah. Ugh, so. Yeah. Or when you don't have friends. And, yeah, and no friends and no family. That's so sad. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Book six is just like, it's, but I think everyone comes to age in book five. Book six just adds fire to the whole thing. And it, um, it also marks a shift. So the only person that we ever hear about Voldemort being remotely scared of in all of the books is Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. The only person keeping everyone at Hogwarts safe from Voldemort and the Ministry is Dumbledore. Dumbledore fucking dies in book six. Right. So, so it's like, a, oh my god, we're all gonna die. Yeah, everyone gets this like sense of completely impending doom, and it is, it is Accurate. rightful. Oh yeah, no, it is pertinent. Like you should feel like you're gonna die. Harry's, oh my god, Harry watches him die, and then he's like oh shit like i am so next yeah like half of it's like mourning for dumbledore and half of it's like oh fuck yeah so talk about adding some angst to your angst like do you want some anxiety with that yes right oh gosh there's ending doom yes yeah (laughs) uh just like a a total side note to all this like we are clearly not covering everything that happens in these books in Harry's life. We're just trying to give you a general feel like so much shit happens. (laughs) Maybe we'll do like a book episode. I don't know at some point, but holy shit. We're just the main themes of what's going on with Harry himself here. Yeah. So, and book six is like really important for Harry as a character because Harry realizes that he is the only person now that can do it. Like he's yeah, he, he knows from the prophecy that, like, he has to be the one to do it. But up until this point, he's had help. He has had someone who had deep, intimate knowledge of what was going on in Dumbledore. Right. And that that is now gone. Right. And we don't find out until book seven that Dumbledore's like, oh, by the way, um, there's, like, six more of these that you have to go find on your own. Right. And uh... six, maybe more than six. So... We don't know. It's a game. Yeah, it's like, um, how many times can you split a soul without it going terribly wrong? Uh, about seven. Sure. Let's and uh, the the one time that he goes with Dumbledore to try and get the Horcrux, it's already gone. That's so Sick. crazy. Yeah, so that sucks. Yeah, and uh, that's where we start with book seven is it sucks. <laughs> yeah, um. basically, like, everything is fucked up in book seven. And yeah. book seven is hard for me because I love the magical shininess of Hogwarts. And we don't get to be at Hogwarts until the end. 
Right. Which is sad. Yeah, it's sad. But at the same time, like, we talked about how Harry starts to realize, like, holy shit, it's just him. Yeah. And he goes through that where he's, like, thinking it's going to be just him. And then Hermione and Ron are there to be like, listen, you literally can't do it on your own. We've had to help you this whole time. Yeah. Like, we've we've been a trio. You're not going to become a lone wolf. Like, we're in this together. Which times have we had to say this? Yeah. Which, this just solidifies for me how amazing these bonds of friendship are. Like, JK does such a beautiful job writing true friendship. So, yay, Ron and Hermione. Applause for you. Yeah, for real. Being the real MVPs. Um, Ron gets... Minus two points for bitching out halfway through, but he comes back. And I was going to say, but part of that is also because of the Horcrux and what that's. Yes. So we find out some dirty details about Horcruxes. One, they're really hard to kill. Two, they can be literally anything. Three, they make the person who's possessing them. If you're not the person whose soul it is, act like the person whose soul it is. Which in this case is Tom Riddle, <laughs> aka Mass Ritter, Psycho Snake Man. So, 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 we're, so what have we got here? We've got it could be really any number. We're just guessing. We yeah. don't really know how to kill it. We're just guessing. And oh, you might also end up acting like the enemy. Good luck. Yeah, and this book seven is really hard for me because I feel like Harry is in his own little world. And I know that he literally is in his own world. He's got so much shit going on. But he's like, well, Dumbledore told me that I needed to do this, so I'm going to do it. And Ron and Hermione are like, do you know what they are? Do you know how to kill them? Do you know where to start? Do you know how many there are? Did Dumbledore give you any information? And Harry's like, no. And they're like, well, that kind of makes Dumbledore shitty. And Harry's like, how dare you talk about Dumbledore that way? And I'm like, dude. Even Ron is being the voice of reason at this point. And yeah, it's like he, when Ron starts being the voice of reason, yeah. you need to reevaluate. Yeah, it's going to be an issue. So they, the trio, spends a majority of book seven going all over Europe, basically, trying yeah. to find these Horcruxes that Tom Riddle has made. We find out in book six. We actually do find out, I think, how many in book six because we get Slughorn's memory, um, and they find out there are seven. Well, we get an inkling, yeah, because he. <sighs> Like, can you split your soul, you know, say seven times or what? Yeah, he's like, he's like, I was wanting to ask you about Horcruxes. And Slughorn's like, ooh, that's nasty. And he's like, so you could do it. He's like, yeah. He's like, what about seven times? And you're like, right. all right, psychopath. Yeah. Like- so we've got, a, yeah, so we've got an idea that it's happened seven times. And it just doesn't mm-hmm. have to work out like that. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. And um, we also kind of get an inclination that they have already killed some of them. So mm-hmm. we're flashing back to book two, The Diary, because the trio, along with some of Dumbledore's, some of the only information Dumbledore left them is that Tom Riddle has always had a thing for possessions of right. other people that yeah. are important. So he, t- as a child, he would take things from people um, that were really important to them. So they get the idea that like, it's not going to be a random pebble. It's yeah. going to be something important. So the ring on Dumbledore which mm-hmm. kills his finger. It's Marvolo Gaunt's ring. And then the diary, I think it is just Tom Riddle's diary. I think that's the only personal one. Yeah. Which is freaky because you're like, oh, he's got like something personal. But he, 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 he wrote a diary. He wrote in a diary. Come on. Yeah, he literally Dark wrote words. in the diary. So 
So in book two, they get rid of one of them. And then in book six, they get rid of another one, which is the ring. But then you get the sense that, like, Tom Riddle, although he turned out to be a shitty-ass wizard, he loved Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. He, well, he loved some of Hogwarts. He didn't like that everyone got to participate. But so the other Horcruxes end up being things from the founders. Right. Slytherin's necklace, Ravenclaw's de- uh, deatum, like a little tiara, mm-hmm. Hufflepuff's cup, which is so funny, like a cup, really. And then we don't find out until deep in book seven that one, Nagini is a Horcrux, which makes sense if you think about it, because True. it would have to be a Horcrux in order for its milk to actually keep Voldemort alive because it's yeah. dripping pieces of his soul into him, which is gross. And then the yeah. biggest reveal of all, Harry is a Horcrux. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, it's important to note that None of the Gryffindor objects are Horcrux. Right. Voldemort separates himself completely. I will say that... Harry. So he says, well, yes, Harry is the Gryffindor one. But I was going to say, you know, so we assume that Dumbledore, not Dumbledore, sorry, Voldemort wants to split his soul seven times. But then uh, Dumbledore says that Harry is the Horcrux that... Voldemort never intended to make and I'm just Mm -hmm. like how that necessarily could happen but whatever that's another episode that's a different one but anyways yeah well the the idea behind Harry becoming a horcrux one is terrifying for Harry he finds out that he's a horcrux which can only be interpreted as all right you have to die Harry yeah like in order for you to kill Voldemort you have to kill all the horcruxes if you are a horcrux therefore you have to die right and two he becomes a horcrux inadvertently like you said dumbledore dumbledore voldemort never meant to create this last horcrux when he tried to kill harry the reason that harry has some of the powers that he does like being a parcel tongue being able to read voldemort's emotions and memory uh like memories and stuff is because he split his soul lily's love was so powerful mm-hmm. that the person that tried to kill harry split and gave piece of his soul to harry and created a horcrux which is insane and like it it actually is kind of like a very dark ominous bow that wraps up a lot of the things that we had questions about in terms of harry's personality because if you put it down on paper harry and voldemort are very similar yep they're not their personalities are not necessarily similar but they've got so many striking very unique qualities that they share um so it really helps harry one he feels a little bit more at peace with who he is but then he's also like "Ew, i'm like dirty and gross yeah which he he has a moment like that in book five he finds out that he is the weapon when they're all visiting arthur weasley in the hospital Mm -hmm. um he finds out he's the weapon and he, like, he feels disgusting. He feels like he doesn't deserve to be on the train with all these good, not dirty people. So this whole, like, being a, the last Horcrux thing is super hard for him to wrap his mind around. And yeah. yet very informative at the same time. So it's conflicting. He's so conflicted. Yeah. And, I mean, how conflicting is it to be, like, okay, and now I have to die? I've been it- working towards this whole thing for seven books now. And now... I have to die? I don't want to yeah. die, but holy shit, I have to. He 
I feel like this shows how much emotional growth Harry has had because he comes to terms with the fact that he has to die pretty quickly. He does, yeah. I mean, they they finish killing, finding and killing all of the Horcruxes they can. They come back to Hogwarts, which has been taken over by evil Snape, Voldemort, the whole gang. The Battle of Hogwarts ensues. A lot of people super close to Harry die. And Harry's like, all these people are making sacrifices for me. Okay, I'm going to make the sacrifice for them. Voldemort's basically like, come into the woods and find me. And we'll yeah. stop killing people. And right. uh, much to everyone's, like, everyone wants it to end. But no one wants Harry to sacrifice himself. And Harry's just like, he kind of slips out. And goes and walks into the woods. And he's like, all right, I guess this is where I die. And um, I, that's a very telltale point for Harry, showing how much different he is than Voldemort. Voldemort's greatest possession is his life. Yeah, Harry, Voldemort is obsessed with the idea that he doesn't have to die. Right, whereas Harry, in a second, is like, okay, I need to sacrifice myself. No yeah, problem. That's, that is showing how Gryffindor he is and how Slytherin Voldemort is and how different they really are on a core level. It's, it's a super juxtaposition. She does such a great job with that because you also like her books are very much so about friendship and love and loyalty. And you see that like, although Harry has moments where he can be selfish because he he is at the core wanting people to be safe and to know a life he hasn't known. So he goes into the woods with the snitch we didn't even mention like Dumbledore leaves everyone gifts um as clues (laughs) yeah I mean he couldn't have just left a fucking letter he left riddles so he gives Hermione a copy of the beetle and the bard thank you which has the Deathly Hallows story in it and then he gives Ron the putter outer and then he gives Harry the original snitch that he the first snitch he caught and they're like what the fuck and we figure out the like Dumbledore's cluing them into the Deathly Hallows, like the Elder Wand and the invisibility, the Cloak of Death or whatever in the Resurrection Zone. And then the Putter Outer eventually brings Ron back to the group. It lets him find them because they're like totally incognito when they're out searching for Horcruxes. And we find out that Harry, who's given a snitch, which says, I open at the close. He's walking into the forest. He puts it up and he's like, I'm about to die. And it opens up and there's the Resurrection Stone. So yeah. Voldemort is like wanting the Deathly Hallows so badly because theoretically to possess all three makes you the most powerful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dumbledore's just had him this whole time. You know, what a cheeky bastard. Surprised? Yeah, are we surprised? <laughs> no, we're not surprised. But, <laughs> but it shows, at least to me, that Dumbledore did put thought into this. A lot of it seems sporadic and crazy, but Dumbledore right. has been very puppet mastery setting a lot of this up like the elder wand doesn't work for voldemort because draco is its true master he disarmed dumbledore before he was killed um harry is in possession of one of the very few invisibility cloaks and dumbledore makes sure that harry gets the resurrection stone because he knows he's going to have to go die and he's like look you're gonna want to see the people that you're gonna see when you die so, Which, by the way, is a part in the movies and the series in general that I cannot never cry at. Like, I, I cry every time. Yeah, Harry sees his family. His family, Sirius and Lily and James, walk Lupin. and Lupin. Yeah, Lupin. Poor Lupin. <laughs> yeah. Lupin was never supposed to die, by the way. Neither was, neither was Tonks. 
um, she switched out their death for Arthur Weasley's life, yeah. which is whole other we'll we'll have a whole episode on Pottermore back writing but yeah Harry gets to see his loved ones before he goes to die and he like oh. I, he really comes to terms with it he he is at peace with this yeah. moment it's very poetic obviously Voldemort kills Harry in air quotes and accidentally kills himself because he doesn't realize nobody realizes that Harry is a horcrux Except, Except for Harry and Hermione. For Harry and Hermione. Um, <laughs> Dumbledore, I think, probably, like, kind of knew it. But, he knew. He knew. But, yeah, like, Voldemort has no idea. And you're just like, congrats, you played yourself. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. it's just the whole, the whole death of Harry is very poetic. She even ties in a mother's love saving Harry one last time. Like, Lily saves Harry's life as a baby by sacrificing herself. Molly Weasley saves Harry's life as a child by raising him as such. And, like, out of nowhere, Narcissa comes and she lies to Voldemort. And she's like, yeah, he's dead. Because, right. like, once again, a mother's love, not necessarily for Harry, but a mother's love in general, saves yeah. him. Um, and I just got pills. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, oh, it's, the seventh book is so well written, like, you don't just see character evolution you see author evolution like she takes yeah. it to a whole nother level Ugh. can we just about how in the i guess you could say like deathscape the in between where like harry sees uh dumbledore again she just packs in quote after quote after quote of dumbledore's that like all the quotes you see yeah are, like, there's a chance of dumbledore if, are like all of them there if you have a harry potter <laughs> tattoo it's from this book it's probably it's from probably that from that scene. Yeah. yeah. So just Harry in book seven to like wrap up the idea of book seven is altruistic to a yeah. to a fault. He accepts death. He accepts the way that his life has gone. He recognizes that his death is essential to the life of many and makes yeah. some really grown up decisions. And it's it's beautiful and tragic and. Yeah. Everyone takes part. The Battle of Hogwarts, there is not a single person in the Battle of Hogwarts, or there isn't a single person who's not in the Battle of Hogwarts. Right. That doesn't yeah. get a moment of writing, of being in the yeah. Battle of Hogwarts. Um, literally everyone is involved in this. It is a second wizarding war. It is dark and tragic. It taints another generation. It kills off literally all of Harry's family members. By the end of it, they're all dead. Yeah. And, like you would think it would set him up for a lifetime of sorrow. But I think because he accepts the fact that he has to die, he is also able to come to terms with the fact that others died for him. Yeah. I was going to say his coming to terms with, okay, this is how my life has been. And this is what my life has led up to. Mm -hmm. And now I have to die and it's, it's going to be bloody, but this is how it's going to have to go. It almost sets him up for like a rebirth. Whereas, like, after this, he can finally live his life for him. He can think about the future without fear of what's going to happen. He can develop intimate relationships. So it's very, it's so poetic. Oh, I have chills again. <laughs> yeah, it, I think, had things not gone the way that they had, Harry would not have grown out of the phase that he was in. He's been very much so stuck in, like, his adolescence. Sorry for himself, almost. Yeah, I, he's never really been like a like a book five, obviously big pity party. But like for the most part, he's like a pretty well mannered, like positive affect guy, right? Relative to the, his life, but 
he is very much so stunted in terms of relationships. And I don't think that he would have been able to break out of it had he not gone through seeing that like Voldemort's pivotal flaw is that he did not value others. He only valued himself and he valued his own life more than the death of others. And like, he's like, Oh, okay. I don't want to do that. And it, I think it helps everyone like move forward from tragedy. Insert Dumbledore quote here. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We, know that at all the end of it Harry is in possession of three Deathly Hallows, all three mm-hmm. and he gets rid of two of them because he is happier with his life as it is uh, yeah. Which so at the very end he actually uses the Elder Wand which he wins when he has his final duel with Voldemort and it, mm-hmm. he repairs his wand which has been broken um, and he like gets rid of the elder wand which you don't you don't see in the movie no you Um, do well you don't see him fix his own wand he just like no you don't see him fix his wand yeah he just like snaps the elder wand in half you're like uh bro but yeah yeah, he got he that shows another i think really big juxtaposition to who voldemort is is that harry does not want the power that can corrupt he's like he keeps the um invisibility cloak i think there's a lot of emotional reasons he keeps it i don't think it's because it's like super handy i think it's because it was part of his father's life more than anything else yeah and uh he he gets rid of the resurrection stone he leaves it in the forest so i guess someone could find it one day but he just kind of like throws it in the the forbidden forest he gets rid of the elder wand repairs his own and he he shows people that like you can be very much so content in the life that you have. Yeah. Even when you know that there is far greater and far more powerful out there, which is a really important note because there are a lot of people after the battle of Hogwarts that are still coping with the power vacuum. Yeah. Like very hardcore. And I think really the only person who could have done that is Harry himself because of everything he's gone through up until this point and then coming to terms with his own death and then finally getting to the point where, okay, all of that is over. Yeah. He just wants to have, like, a normal life. Everybody else, I think, I think almost everybody else at this point, this is the biggest tragedy they probably experienced. Yeah, but to him, this is is just an annual thing. True. But it's also, like, a weight lifted. It's like, okay, we're we're resetting here. Whereas everybody else is, like, still going to have to deal with things they probably haven't really dealt with before. Yeah. Not to this extent. So we, uh, we get to the end of book seven, and there's a 19 years later, which shows um, the trio with their respective spouses. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. Harry marries Ginny, Ron marries Hermione, Neville marries... Yeah. Hannah Abbott. Han- thank you. And then, mm-hmm. uh, like, everyone's married off. Draco ends up marrying some Slytherin girl. And uh, Ginny and Harry have kids. Three yeah. kids. Which they give, sorry, but they give them the shittiest names. I mean, James Sirius is the chill one. But James Sirius one. is chill, but like Albus Severus, who becomes very important to motherfucking cursed child. And then mm-hmm. Lily Luna. Um, I mean, I guess not bad either, but yeah. But they all attend Hogwarts. Some of them are Slytherin. Harry's like, it's totes chill that you're Slytherin. Some of the bravest men I know were Slytherin. He's referencing Snape, which I think this is why people are Snape apologists and like Snape redeemers because they feel like Harry has come to terms with it, but no. 
Um, no. No. Mm-mm, I don't think so. I think it's just a, he was brave, and I'm going to acknowledge that he was brave for all of us. He was still an abuser, but... Yeah, I think I you can acknowledge that he's brave and not name your kid after him. That's true, but, <laughs> you know, um, whatever. We, we find out a lot about, like, post-Hogwarts, or Battle of Hogwarts in Cursed Child and on Pottermore. The biggest thing that we learn on Pottermore is that Ron and Harry opt to not return to Hogwarts after the Battle of Hogwarts. So they technically don't complete their schooling. Um, right. Harry still becomes the head or. Because duh. <laughs> but yeah. And people are like, no, it should have been Ron. And I'm like, are you dumb? <laughs> it should have been Ron? People say that? Yeah. A lot of people feel like it should have been Ron. Um, what the hell? I don't know. Maybe because Ron has more political sense because he grew up in the wizarding world i don't know i don't think so who gives a shit um i still maintain that harry would have made an excellent like defense against the dark arts teacher but See, i was gonna say i thought i read somewhere that he does come back and like teach every now and then uh he might be like adjunct i know neville goes back full-time he teaches herbology which yay right. neville that's totally awesome but we I swear i read that somewhere that he goes back and like does certain lessons or something whatever he might i could see it post hogwarts life we don't get a ton about it in terms of like written full-fledged stories until cursed child came out not that long ago um before that we just know that like they didn't go back to school he marries jenny they have a couple kids and then we get cursed child and it which i think we need to go ahead and make this clear for anybody who doesn't know that it was not written by jk yeah when people are like Ugh, i just hated it i can't believe she wrote it i'm like she didn't she, she did not write it. she signed off on the use of her characters and her world she literally yeah. did not pen a single word of it very um, important now i will say it could be totally different as a play it is intended fully to be a stage adaptation and yeah. so reading it, maybe we don't get the vibe, but just the way that they wrote the characters, like Harry becomes this incredibly insecure, like kind of gruff, shitty ass dad who Which I don't see happening. No, who I like don't. butts heads with Ginny and like Ginny is an absentee mom and like the whole thing is ridiculous. Yeah, I don't see that happening it, whatsoever. Well, you haven't read Cursed Child, so I'm not gonna do yeah, a big I, a big spoiler for it, but uh, we no, I, I did I did the read the summary though, so I know what happens. But I'm just saying, like I don't see Harry and Ginny being shitty parents. I just don't. Mm-mm. No, Ginny was raised by one of the strongest set of parents in like literature, and yeah. Harry was like partially raised by that. And though even though Harry didn't have like a normal childhood, he still had a huge need for like a sense of family. So I then, I don't get the idea that they would be so crappy. I don't get the idea that Ron and Hermione, like, well, so Hermione becomes the Minister of Magic. Uh-huh. Um, Ron also becomes an Aur, and mm-hmm. Ginny plays professional Quidditch. Yeah. So that's what we know about what they do after Hogwarts. And at some point, Ron then stops being an Aur and goes to work at Wizarding Weezes, one of the Weasley's Wizarding Weezes. That yeah, he goes and works with the twin mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the twin oh, i can't even talk about that so many so many good amazing people die at the battle of hogwarts it's tragic like the amount of loss that harry experiences is awful but not a lot everybody experiences like there wasn't one person in there that didn't experience some kind of horrible shit Ugh. yeah 
it's it's bad. She really does a number. And I love that every year on the anniversary, she tweets, like, an apology for killing yeah. one particular character. Some people hate that, but I love it. <laughs> Keep it coming. Because you, you, you need to apologize. <laughs> yeah. So, it, Cursed Child, all of the issues of the past pop up again because we have a special magical object from the past also pop up. And right. we meet, well... I don't know how much of this I could ruin for you. I have already read it, the summary. I just haven't read the actual thing, but I know all the all that happened. Yeah, so we, we meet the daughter of Voldemort, and mm-hmm. she befriends one of Harry's children who is struggling at Hogwarts, who is right. becomes best friends with one of Draco's children. Um and basically I yeah, I like that they become friends because if you if you take the house alliances away, Draco and Harry could have maybe been friends. Yeah, they yeah. If if Draco wasn't a little shit, like as the as they're older, yes, yeah. I think they could. Now Draco does change a lot. After book six, he um he pretty much renounces like Voldemort and that whole thing and becomes right. a pretty different person. But yeah. Uh Cursed Child for me we'll probably do a cursed child episode but for me yeah. the big is- issue with it is that it brings up the issue of the time turner again which yeah. pretty much undoes the solidity of the series because with the time turner popping back up you could literally change any aspect of the series into whatever <laughs> you want and they do yeah. and they do they make it so that in the end nothing really changes but like it's it's weird. I didn't like Cursed Child. It also didn't give us, I think, a good idea of the actual evolution of Harry or any right. of the trio. Um, so yeah, I, was... I don't. I don't think from what obviously I haven't actually read the the script itself, but I've read the summaries and all the theories and all that jazz. And I just don't think that it was written with the actual characters in mind. I just no, don't. I don't think so. Um, Hermione is like weak willed. <laughs> Yeah. Ron is like presumptuous. Jenny is like absent. It's just the it for me it never would have played out that way. And I know there are a lot of people who also felt like that. Um yeah. and it's hard. It's hard to write the continuance of characters when you're not the person who wrote the characters. Because right. I think JK had some pretty clear ideas of what everyone was gonna turn out like as she was writing through the years. Yeah. And I don't like she said like, Oh, I loved Cursed Child, like, no you didn't. You lie. No, probably not. You would lie. Probably, she probably liked, like, oh wow, like maybe this was a thing that I didn't think of in like a totally different direction. But it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. And she's like, J.K. has come out and said that she would never write a prequel. She would only write the sequel. Which, right. like, all right, you didn't even write the sequel, so shame on you. But yeah. write the prequel. Give it to us. We yes. want it. We want it so bad. I want Marauder's book. Yeah, we want it. I want it. Um. <laughs> But back to who we're actually talking about, Harry. Um, yeah. He lives a long, prosperous life, which I think is the only possible way that you could end his story, is saying yeah. that like he lives a very long time surrounded by the woman that he loves and the kids that he loves and like his grandkids and blah, blah, blah. He just, he's all, Harry had such a rough life. And in, like, despite his circumstances, he was an incredibly kind, giving character who yeah. was willing to sacrifice in order to better the future for others because he recognized the true terror of the situation, which I think makes him... He always was old 
for his age while simultaneously being like oblivious. Um, yeah. So he's very strong headed, very strong willed, very stubborn, but in the best possible way, I think. I think that it's kind of interesting to see him at the beginning. He's always been a hero. He's always going to be the one who's going to run out into the battle and, you know, fuck shit up. But at the end, he ends up being the hero for all the right reasons. Not just because he was the one to go run into the fray, but because he was the one who was willing to sacrifice himself for everyone else. And it the the biggest character evolution we see with him is, in the beginning, like, he... He doesn't necessarily want the attention, but he wants people to know that he is, in fact, valuable. And so mm -hmm. he wants people to know what he's doing. Um, but at the end, in book seven, he walks into the forest without telling anyone. He right. does it quietly. He understands that recognition is not the reason for the, the challenge or for the action. Right. It's the outcome, which right. uh, it just does a lot for him as a character. I thoroughly enjoy his character. Yeah. Super well written. One of my favorite characters. Amazing evolution. Yeah. So many realistic life problems and challenges and scenarios. He's so well written. And his whole thought process, especially beginning with book five, is so genuine and so incredible. Ugh, it's just, it's so complex and it's so real. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine a better main character for this series. No. I talk a lot about how it would be so cool to see, like, a female version or Hermione at the Central or, you know, whatever it is. But in reality, uh, Harry Potter is what it is because of this character. And Absolutely. it's beautiful. She does such it a good job. Fun. Yep, she does. Yeah. He, he's a great character. And, uh, yeah, like you said, it wouldn't be the series without him. It'd be a completely different series if Hermione was... Yeah, the main and um, we'll do like a movies episode, so I don't want to get into it too much, but his character is particularly well cast and well captured mm -hmm. on the screen, um, is. which is awesome because you can really throw off a series when when you poorly cast main characters, but he was just cast so yeah. well. Um, he was. Yeah. He was written so well, and uh, we love Harry on this podcast. Yeah. We really love him. So we do. That. Uh, Here. That very sadly but poetically wraps up our trio miniseries uh, episodes on Harry James Potter, who, I don't know, how long, do you know how long he lives? No, she hasn't told us when he dies yet. I mean, technically he's still alive in her little world. Yeah, I guess he's, he's still alive in his little world. So just, yeah. I, just living a long, happy life. We know that wizards live longer than like the average human so you know he could still be alive today uh just hanging out with his family and enjoying the modicum of peace that he's finally got so thank you yeah, harry I think, I think he'd only be like 40 something at this point so yeah he was born in like the 80s yeah yeah the so. last the battle of hogwarts is in 1998 so. yeah his kids just yeah. recently uh started at hogwarts so that's fun that was like yep. a couple years ago, but yeah, that, uh, that will wrap it up. As always, we love to hear your comments on our episodes. You can get in touch with us in a multitude of ways. If you've got short comments, you can reach us on Instagram at Lumos Maxima Podcast, on Twitter at Lumos Maxima Pod, or if you've got a lot to say, uh, shoot us an email. We love eowls at Lumos Maxima Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we will be cranking out the second of the three amazing trio, which I think is going to be Hermione. Most likely. Yeah. Sorry to leave her on last, but you know, 
Oh. Yeah, she. We love Hermione. Mm-hmm. Hermione Jean Granger is Bay. So uh, yep. look for that next week. And yep. uh, thanks for tuning in to this extra long episode. But it had to be long. Yeah. There's just too it much. It had to be long. <laughs> There's so much about Harry. He needed two long episodes. So yeah, but that's what you got. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you guys next week. <laughs>